Well, if you don't want to open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 4. Before we start, I just thought I would give um, kind of an introduction. Lord willing, I'm going to start today a series, and the topic is going to be worship, a series on worship. So why talk about worship? Um, Well, one of the reasons is it seems like it's neglected. Uh, I was asking people, I don't know, a year or two ago, you read any good books on praise and worship? And the vast majority of people said, I can't think of any. And there were a few people that had a couple recommendations. But for the most part, it was surprising. And the reason I was asking is because I hadn't read any really good books on praise and worship. And I would go online, look up, I'd like to look up and see some, listen to some good sermons on praise and worship. Type it in. None, you know. It's like, whoa. Uh, I want to hear some things about worship. So that's one reason. Another reason it's been very helpful to me personally, just in the last couple of years, thinking it, thinking about praise and worship in my personal life and walk with God. It's been the most helpful thing to me over these last two years is thinking about worship and trying to have God's view on it. And it's helped my prayer life. It's helped me through trials. And it's just been extremely helpful personally. And then the last reason is it's important to God. That's the most important reason is it's all over the Bible. There's so many things said about it. The things that are said about praise and worship are so shocking. Uh, it's unreal, you know. And just some of this is a review for some of you, but I'll say it again anyways. You know, think, how would you describe if somebody said, what's a real Christian? Would your first thing be, well, We are the true, this is what Paul says in Philippians, we're the true circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. That's his first thing. What is a real Christian? A real Christian is somebody that worships by the Spirit of God. And David, you know, when he was fearing for his life, he prays to God, God, save my life because, and what he says is, because the dust is not going to praise you. Why should I not die? God, why should you save my life? Because if I die, my body is not going to praise you anymore. It's going to be dust, and that dust isn't going to praise you. And so things like that are just blow my mind. You know, it's like, that is, I would never have thought to say that. Um, and I think the reason is worship has, is not a big and hasn't been a huge thing in my mind like it is in the Bible. And so all that is to say, starting this new series on worship, uh, the reason, the main reason is it seems very clear from the Bible, it's very important to God. So just to set the stage, how are we going to talk about it? Well, there's a couple ways we could talk about it in terms of a series on worship. 
you could do it systematically. So here the person like Garrett or Ryan would say, here's the definition of worship, and then let's break it down. Here's all the passages. Very systematic, you know, linear. But that's not how I think, so I don't think I could give a series like that. Anyways, what I'm going to try and do is less systematic and more what some of you have probably read, more of a biblical theology, which means you just start at the beginning and you read the relevant passages and your idea of worship builds as God builds his idea of worship throughout the Bible. So it starts in the Old Testament and you try and wrestle with the ideas and the stories presented and what is it teaching us and then you move on and you try and build up and obviously you start you know, with Genesis and then you work through Israel's history and then you know, the climax is Jesus Christ and then his church and then your revelation would be eternity. And so you build not systematically, but more through the narrative that God laid out. And so that's the plan, is just to start. What that means is there'll probably be some repetition, because that's just the way the Bible is set up. It's kind of like some of you homeschool moms that probably use Saxon math, where it's, you teach something and then they do it every day for like a year or something. <laughs> um, Spiral learning or whatever they call it. That's kind of how the Bible is. You know, it teaches a lesson and then it doesn't just move on like, oh yeah, you know that. It repeats it and repeats it and repeats it. And so that's the plan, Lord willing. So let's read this passage here in Genesis chapter 4. Cain and Abel starting in verse 1, Genesis 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. All right, so here the very beginning of the Bible, we see something of the importance of worship. You know, here we are post-fall, you know, Adam and Eve just sinned and threw humanity into a fallen world, the whole world, into a state of decay and separation from God. They're cast out of Eden. And then what is the first story after that going to be? I mean, what's this... What's this new world going to be like? This world where we're not walking with God anymore, where we've sinned, where we're guilty. Is it going to be the story of the first blood spilt? I mean, think about it. There was surely a time. God cursed the ground. Here comes all these thorns. They're cast out of Eden and they, you know, trip over a thorn bush and suddenly this new thing's happening. There's blood spilling out of their, 
their body and they're thinking this something has happened something terrible has happened you know this fall or the first it could be the story of the first cough you know it's like we didn't used to get sick like this but now something's wrong or there's so many things that could have happened what what's the first story of post fall going to be like what is it going to be about is it going to be about the first harvest how hard it is and they realize man this was this was so much easier in the garden i can't believe we rebelled against god now we're laboring by the sweat of our brow just to get a little bit of food to survive there's so many things that for me i would have if i was writing it if i was the author I would have chosen some of those things. You know, I, in my mind, those seem like really big things, but God, what did He want to tell a story about? First thing after the fall, He wants to talk about worship. What's worship like after the fall? What are the effects of, of worship being broken? And that's the big thing here, and that's surprising. In one way, it is the story of the first death, too. The first death. But it's also the story of broken worship. And so we see how important worship is. And this will, I think, become more and more clear as we go throughout the series. Is It's a big deal to God. I mean, he, it seems like he's always putting in these stories of worship, of worship, of worship throughout Genesis, Exodus, all the way through to Revelation. It's, a, it's an important thing in the mind of God. But the one thing I really want to talk about today, there's only one thing, there's a lot in this story, I think we're, Lord willing, going to talk a little bit more about it next week. But the one thing I want to talk about today is the great privilege of worship. The privilege of worship. There are things that we aren't thankful for until they're gone. Or until we even think about the possibility of them being gone. Do you want to appreciate your one leg walking in front of the other leg and doing what you tell it? You hear about somebody who's been paralyzed and they can't walk and you feel just as you're walking out the door, you know, wow, I am so thankful that I've got these legs that do what I tell them to do. It's hard, right? It, it's something that uh, can be difficult or I was just, the reason I thought of that was with my class this week, we watched this video um, and it was about somebody who got in an accident and was paralyzed and I really did feel more appreciative than I've ever felt. And it was, it was because I saw what it would be like to not have it, to lose it. And we take it for granted, at least I have, you know, and I th I'm sure there's a thousand other things. But we don't want to do that with worship. Do we take worship for granted? So let's just look at this story of Cain and Abel. And we're going to start really with Cain and look at Cain. Do we assume that God will accept our worship? So most or all of you have heard this, and you could probably tell me the story almost verbatim of this story of Cain and Abel, but we want it to sink in what it's actually saying. Not just here's the facts, here's what happened, but what does it mean and how should that affect us? What's the impact on my thinking, my heart, my emotions, my life? And so here we are. Let's 
read through it again a little bit slowly and talk about it as we go. So verse 3, Genesis 4. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. Here we are, worship, right? They're coming to God, making an offering to God, and what happens? And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Does anyone have a different word than regard in their version? Nobody. I think some of them say respect. Um, so it's this idea of he wasn't pleased. He's not gonna. He's not gonna look at it. Now, what does that mean? What is that actually saying? We want it to sink in. God rejected Cain's worship. God rejected his worship. That's a really big deal. I mean, an earthly example, imagine you sent me a thank you note. Thank you, so-and-so, you know, for such-and-such. I really appreciate it. And I sent you back a note. I just wanted you to know I ripped up your note. I reject your thank you. You don't mean it. That would be shocking. Right? Would you go throughout your day like, oh, no big deal, nothing happened? It would bother you. And I'm just, I don't know how close you are to me. I mean, for, if that was my wife, obviously, it would be a bigger deal than it is to some of you. But if me, as someone you know, but am not super close to, if that would affect you like that, what about God Almighty? Hearing a voice that says, I reject your worship. We don't know how it happened. I mean, it doesn't tell us. The, the story here doesn't give us what happened. Matthew Henry says he thinks fire fell from heaven and consumed Abel's, and it didn't consume Cain's, but we don't really know. All we know is that the message came across really clear to Cain and really clear to Abel. I'm rejecting this sacrifice, this offering, and I'm accepting this one. And that's really, really scary. Another illustration would be they're, they're trying to honor God, aren't they? They're trying to show God that they honor Him. They're returning. God gave them these things. They're coming back to give thanks, to show honor to God with their offering. And God rejects the honor from one and accepts it from another. Can you imagine if we here wanted to give somebody an honor? It's like, so-and-so, you mean so much to us, we're wanting to honor you. Why don't you come and, and meet with us and we want to just show you how, how much we're thankful for you, how we, honor, we want to give you this honor and just say we're thankful. You're, you've been, meant a lot to us and we want to honor you. And they came and they said, I would have uh, come and accepted the honor from this group or that group, but you all, I reject it. I don't want your honor. That would be shocking. And it would be devastating. 
it would be absolutely devastating. The person you're wanting to honor is rejecting it. I don't want your honor. Now we begin to see the privilege, don't we? I mean, it's almost like until you see the possibility of it not not being accepted that you, at least for me, I've lost. Wow, God, I'm honoring God here when I worship. Is He accepting it? Is it pleasing to Him? What if it was you? What if you went to God, you bowed your knees tonight and said, God, thank you so much for my wife. And you heard a voice. Don't thank me. I don't want your thanks. Thank you, God, for my daughter. Thank you for my job. Thank you for this food. And you hear a voice. No, not from you. Thank you, God, for the trees. Thank you for all you've made. Thank you for who you are. It would be devastating. But is this the only, you know, am I reading too much into this? Is this what God's really like? Let's look at some other passages that are teaching a similar thing. Let's turn to Amos chapter 5. Amos five twenty one to twenty three Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. Starting verse twenty one. I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. Uh, wow, can you imagine? Here we are. We just sang, you know, a song. Imagine if, you know, a prophet got up and said, I have a message for you from God. I hate your songs. I hate that you're gathered here. I hate that you're going to eat a meal together after this. That would be horrible. And God says, take away from me the noise of your songs. Stop singing. Stop playing. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. That's what God's like. We see that God is very serious about worship. He wants the real thing, doesn't He? It means so much to Him. It's very important. 
you know, the world doesn't really believe this, right? The world really believes that surely God is up there and he's, he's in a lot of ways, very uh, accepting, you know. Here's this Buddhist monk, you know, and here's this Muslim and here's this Christian and they're all offering and surely they're all, you know, they're not all right, you know, in terms of, you know, they believe different things, but God just overlooks whatever's wrong in it, and He just is thankful that they're at least trying to give Him honor. That's really what the world believes. That's not the picture of the Bible. Right? It's In the Bible, it's very different than that. It's like, here's the person coming. They've got all the right answers. They've got, you know, they're doing the outward thing the right way. They're, they're at the temple, and what happens? You know, Think about it. Jesus. There you are in Jerusalem. You're there with your uh, unblemished lamb. You're getting ready to sacrifice it to the God of the Bible. You went where he said to go. You, went, you got the priest that he said to get. And then here comes in a guy with a whip. And he drives everybody out. And he says, you've made my house a den of robbers. It's like, I thought I was doing the right thing. But... Just the outward thing doesn't mean it's the right thing, does it? There has to be more. There has to be coming to God in truth, coming to God in His way, coming to God in faith. Let's look at a couple more here. Malachi Shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name. And a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is its food, may be despised. You say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or is sick, and you bring, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept it from your hand, says the Lord. So here we are, the people of God. His message to them has been often, I reject. I reject your worship. It's not pleasing to me. You're offering this blemish animal. You're coming and in your heart you're despising it. But all this is for a purpose. We're not... We don't want to just focus on the negative just only to see the real thing. It's no good thing to be able to tear down something unless you can build up the real thing, right? God's not saying this because he's trying to 
just tear something down to tear down. He's saying he's wanting to tear down the unreal thing to build up the real thing, right? So I'm going to read one more, and you don't have to turn here. This is from Isaiah, and it starts off the same. What is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and the solemn assembly. Your new moon and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. So it's very similar to Cain, isn't it? Coming with the offerings and God saying, I'm not going to look. I'm not going to regard it. I don't accept it. It doesn't please me. I'm going to hide my eyes. Then listen to what he says this. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. I bet all of you knew that verse. I bet a lot of you knew that verse. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as white as wool. You know, it's interesting. What's the context of that? He's actually talking about worship there. He's saying, here's this. What's the reasoning he's saying? He's saying, here's this offering that you're making. It's not pleasing to me. There's sin it's, it's in your heart. There's sin in your life. But what? But if you come, I'll wash you. I'll clean you. We can get back to where you can worship me again. Where you can be in my presence again. Where I can look on you with pleasure again. That's the context. It's amazing. You know, we've got two people here, don't we? We started with Cain. Cain's offering was rejected. His worship was rejected. And yet, there's another. There's Abel. And when you see God reject Cain's worship and his sacrifice and say, I don't, it's not pleasing to me. I, I don't regard it. Then, it's amazing. Then, it, then you really see Abel's worship as wonderful as a miracle right the world of difference the god almighty looking down and saying i reject you and your offering which is what he said to cain devastation right total shock or god almighty looking down and saying your worship is pleasing to me. I'm, I accept you and your sacrifice. I have regard for you and your sacrifice. It's an infinite chasm between the two. One is complete elation. God's pleased with me. God knows me. God's 
watching over me. Or God is not pleased. God's not watching. He's, in fact, hiding his eyes. So what do we see here? Well, we're not left with just Cain right there, are we? We're not, God didn't say to Cain, I reject it, you're done. What does he say to him? Look here. In verse 6 of Genesis 4. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So what do we see here? We see grace, right? God, what is God saying? We see an angry man. He's angry at God. That's what it says. What's God going to do? There's a man. He's angry. God's angry at him. His worship's not acceptable. God's saying he's hiding his eyes from a sacrifice. What's God do? He comes and speaks to that man and pleads with him to offer acceptable worship. He's saying there's, it's not, there's not no hope, Cain. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Why are you angry? He's calling out his sin and he's calling him back to himself. We see an angry man and a gracious God. A God who's active in the world, calling people out here. Not just rejecting worship, but a call is going out. Come and offer acceptable worship. It's amazing. Calling out to sinners, turn from sin. I'll make your sins, though they're like scarlet, I'll make them as white as snow. Come and be acceptable worshipers. So now we, you know, highlighted Cain, but let's think about Abel. Think what we're talking about. There's only really one point, the privilege of worship. The privilege of worship. So let's think about that. Think about Abel. God Almighty, who made the heavens and the earth, who made the galaxies, You know, the universe is so big, like we can't even hold the distances in our minds. It's so incomprehensible. That God looks down at this man post-fall, right? He's not sinless. You know the verse, no one seeks after God. No, not one. That's true of Abel. Abel was a sinner. And yet, we see an almighty God looking down, pleased. That's a miracle. It's a miracle when God Almighty is regarding His creatures and pleased with them. Even if we weren't sinners, if we were just creatures, wouldn't it be amazing to know, God is here, God is pleased with me. But we're not just creatures. We're not just tiny compared to God. We're sinful creatures. What a miracle. What an honor that God Almighty would hear and accept our songs, our prayers, our praise. And think about, think about Isaiah 6. 
I mean, you know this. You can turn there if you want, or I can just read. Remember, Isaiah sees a vision. It says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I mean, he sees God on his throne. He sees the angels, or the seraphim, flying around, covering their face and, and worshiping. Holy, holy, holy. And what we're saying here, what God's saying here from Genesis 4 is, God is looking down at men, not angels flying around, men with their feet on the dust, sinful men, and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy. And God's saying, that's pleasing to me. Think about it. The angels are covering their faces. Sinless, right? The seraphim, they're covering their faces and they're, as they're praising God because of how great and how awesome He is. And what God says is us is we can come. We can worship. I mean, think about the, the same idea in the tabernacle, isn't it? There was the veil between the Holy of Holies and the the next uh, outer layer that's in the tent. And then outside of that, there was the courtyard where you could worship. What it's saying is, here's God. He's so holy, you can't, you can't go in this veil. You can't go in there without, a, without God calling you in. And it's only going to happen once a year. And it's just going to be one person. What an honor, isn't it? I mean, to be the one guy who goes into the presence of God. But what? That was just a shadow, wasn't it? That we, can, we are entering in through the veil to worship God. It's real. It's just as real when you get down on your knees in the morning and worship God as it was for the priests that went into that veil, as it is for the angels flying. And yet, it's, it's something more. I mean, we're not coming, coming with our faces covered like the angels were coming with boldness because of the blood of Jesus. You know, remember Hebrews, which of the angels could he say, you're my son? None of them. That's true about Jesus, but it's also true about us, isn't it? We're his sons. Angels can't say they're his sons, but we can say, I'm God's son. I'm here to worship God through the blood of Jesus.
it's an honor. It's a great privilege and honor to be able to worship God and Him to look down with His good pleasure and say, that pleases me. And we want to be like that. We want to be like Abel and not Cain. We want to offer our sacrifice with faith. We want to be holy. But the one thing really this morning just to think and talk about is the privilege of worship. So now here's the picture. Here's what we, you know, this picture of Cain and Abel. Now how do we apply it? Well, first we want to ask, is our worship pleasing to God? Is there anything that God puts his finger on in your life, just like he did Cain? Why are you angry? Is there any unconfessed sin, anything you're holding on to, not willing to give up? God will tell you, just like he told Cain. He's not trying to hide himself from you. We want to pray and search the scriptures and ask the Lord, God, am I pleasing to you? Is this acceptable to you? Is there anything I'm holding back? Am I doing this the way you said you wanted me to do it? That's one application. What else? Well, we can just be thankful that we can thank God. It's no small thing that you can walk outside and see the trees and think, God Almighty made that. And then you can, in your mind, tell him, Thank you, God, for who you are. What you made is wonderful. And he actually hears, and that pleases him. That's huge. That's amazing. It's not something to take for granted. God could easily have said, after Adam and Eve, the story after the fall could easily be, not one more time is a man going to thank me. Not one more time is a sinful man going to thank me. I'm going to reject it all. I'm not going to make a way. But he did, didn't he? Through, through Jesus, He made a way that we can come to Him. That's amazing. And if we really see the great privilege of worship, wouldn't we worship differently? I mean, for me, just thinking about this, thinking about this passage, it makes me conscious. Like, I'm not just coming to sing some songs and God's automatically going to accept it. It makes me think, there's a mighty God who could, could accept or reject my worship. And it makes you come with this sense of reverence and awe, right? For our God is a consuming fire. It's not, it's not a small thing to come before an almighty God and to believe we're engaging with Him. It's not something light. It's something weighty. Come before God, almighty God. If we believe that, what a privilege. I mean, I feel in my heart, I don't want to neglect such a great gift. Right? If it's such a great privilege to bow down and worship God and He hears, how much more do we want to? You walk outside, you have the opportunity to praise God for the trees, to praise God for the sky, to praise God for His Son, to praise God for a million things. I don't want to neglect it. It's a privilege. It's an honor. Well, let's close there and let that hopefully sink in and we'll sing at least one more song here. What was the song? I already forgot. 
Oh God, our help in ages past. Maybe we can do one more after that and then we'll be dismissed here.